So this is week three of talking about John chapter four. And honestly, I think, and I'm fairly confident this is going to be the last week we spend on this passage of scripture. I'm confident, I'm not 100% confident, but I'm fairly confident that this is going to be it. But this has been quite a discussion that we've had where we have followed Jesus's journey with the woman at the well and we have learned that the story that we have learned in Sunday school though it is a correct understanding of the passage of scripture perhaps has maybe left out some of the greatest points and the greatest things that we need to understand in order to fully capture what John was trying to get us to understand when he wrote this story of Jesus As we talked about Jesus going into the land, we realized that Jesus went to this place not because it was part of the journey that he had to do. As a matter of fact, he was expected to go around. But yet John said that he needed to go. That Jesus had something that he needed to accomplish in this place. And so he went against cultural expectations and against um, things that were expected of him as a Jewish man and as a Jewish leader. But John wanted to capture that Jesus' life was not what we would think it would be about. That the purpose that Jesus had was not one about building his own kingdom, was not one about making his own statement and affirming himself, but it was about uh, affirming the work of God and what God had come to do through the person of Jesus Christ. And so he went to this land in Samaria for a purpose, somewhere where he was not meant to go or should not have gone. He went for a purpose. Now, we didn't talk about this last week, um, but also understand that by Jesus uh, communicating with, spending with time with, and, and interacting with this Samaritan woman, he would have been made uh, what Jewish people would consider unclean. So for a time, he would not be able to do certain Jewish things. He would not be able to enter the temple and all these things strictly because he interacted with this lady. Now, that's something that you and I need to understand as believers. If we're to understand the call of Christ and we're to understand the purpose of what Christ has done, that understanding that sometimes when Christ calls us to do something, we may be considered unclean by our peers. Meaning that if we are willing to go and talk to somebody or we are willing to go and do something, people might think we're crazy. We might be considered an outcast because we have done something. But that is the whole point that John is wanting to get across in this account of the gospel. Remember, John is writing to a group of young believers whose world has just shattered around them. They've been cast out of the temple. They were raised Jewish, but now they're following Jesus. And it seems like the world is crashing down around them. And so John writes to them as this letter to encourage them and to testify of the things that he knew of Jesus Christ so that these young believers would be encouraged in their struggle and in their battle for faith. And so we see as this woman is talking with Jesus, it reveals that she thought she was pretty secure in her faith. She thought that the things that she knew, the things that she understood about God and how people get to God were the right things. She had been taught that her whole life. She knew where to worship, she knew what was expected, and all of those things. But as she talked with Jesus, she learned that the things that she was sure of in her head was not the things that Jesus said must be necessary in order to experience God, and as we know that to be salvation. And Jesus said that salvation comes from the Jews and thereby opens the door for her to realize that what must be known up here must also be understood in here. 
And Jesus said it is the heart and the intention by which we use what we know in order to worship God. And so Jesus builds this community with her and he builds this relationship with her by making himself susceptible to her something that she has that he needs. He asks her for a drink. And so therefore, this Jewish man who would be considered over her is now considered beneath her because she has the power of the situation. But in doing so, Jesus disarms her to where they're able to have a conversation and then Jesus can bring about the realization for her that something in her life is keeping her from experiencing what she obviously wants. Remember, this woman has had a rough life. She says she's had five husbands and now... She is without a husband, but yet she's living with somebody. And that was something that was completely not accepted by anybody back in the day. And Jesus calls her on that. But yet Jesus didn't know her, so how did he know this? So therefore, the woman realizes that there must be something special about this man, Jesus, if he was able to say something like that. And that begins the conversation where she finally realizes that even though I'm a Samaritan, even though I'm considered as an outcast, even though I'm going against all social norms and all things that should be expected in order to be an upstanding person. This Jewish man is now sitting with me, now having a conversation with me, and has not yet once tried to correct me, tried to straighten me out, or tried to condemn me. But yet he is here speaking with me, And so John is helping these young Christians to understand that it's not the absence of sin that allows the presence of Christ to come in. That it is not the absence of sin that allows the Spirit of Christ to do its work, but it is in despite of the presence of sin. You see, Jesus didn't wait for this woman to get everything together and realize that she was a Samaritan and realize that her people had had it all wrong. But yet he went to her. And before we read the passage of Scripture, that is something that is God's people. We need to be very clear on and we need to understand. I find myself a lot of mornings praying, God, please put somebody in my path today that I can tell about Jesus. And what I say is I'm expecting that as I go about my normal routine to my normal places, doing my normal things, that God will just magically have somebody walk through the door that I can recognize as this woman at the well and go, you know what, you need Jesus. Let me help you out. But that's not what we see happening in this story. The woman didn't go to Jesus. The woman didn't show up at one of Jesus' hangouts. But Jesus went to her. He went out of his way, out of his normal business, out of his expected journey, because he had a purpose, because he knew there was work of God to be done, and he had the ability to do it. So before we read the passage of Scripture, let's think about that. Kids, let's think about that as a school year starts. Parents, let's think about it as PTA programs and ball games and all those things start. What would it look like if we as the church, as the people of God, understood that sharing Jesus Christ was not about expecting people to come to us, was not about expecting people to show up at our church. You know, for the longest time, that was the understanding of church and society, is that if you build it, they will come. 
Well, we know that that only happened in a movie. And it didn't happen in real life. And that's the reality of it with the church. That people don't come to church just because we're on Falls Boulevard and we have a phenomenal steeple and a lovely bell system. People will only come to this church if you and me go to them and we tell them what we know. Understand we don't throw out seminary level education of Jesus to them. We don't throw out correct theology. It is as simple as telling what we know. This is what I know about Jesus. This is why I'm a Christian. That's all it takes. But before we read the scripture, understand that even Jesus didn't just sit on a rock and wait for people to come to him. He went out of his way because he knew something needed to be done. And we live in a community in a state, in a country, and in a world where something always needs to be done. There is somebody that always needs to hear that tomorrow is going to be a better day. There is somebody that needs to hear that what they have been chasing after with their whole life is never going to give them what they're hoping to find. There is somebody that needs to hear that they matter. And that there is a God who created all things that we know that wants to know them and wants to pour out blessings on them. There is somebody that always needs to hear that. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to John chapter 4, and we're going to read the first 42 verses again for the third Sunday in a row. Isn't that a reason to rejoice? I would tell you when I was growing up and the pastor would start reading Scripture and he'd have more than about five verses, it was the worst Sunday ever. So I know where you're at. But understand, these are words that bring life. These are words of the greatest love story that we will ever know. And so this is our happy moment. This is the moment where we get to rejoice because these words were written that we might understand Jesus better. So let's read them in joyous celebration. All right, if you would. Chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them as disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way, and eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you knew the gift that God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. This well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides... Do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than what he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again because it will become a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water and I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. 
You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. You aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim that it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on the mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one that you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for the ones who will worship him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, What do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. And then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying that four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up. And look around, the fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit that they harvest is brought, has harvest is people brought to eternal life. And what joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying that one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant, and others had already done the work. But now you will get to gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many to hear his message and believe. And then they said to the woman, Now we believe not just because of what you have told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. And now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. So again, as we've talked about, there is a lot going on in these few short verses. In just these short verses, Jesus has established himself as the savior of the world to an entire race or culture or whatever you want to call it of people who were considered outcasts and not considered good enough by the people that God would claim his own. For us, we could say this as Jesus had just established himself as the savior of the world to a group of people that the church has said is not good enough for what we have. That's a little bit of a game changer, isn't it? So as we discussed the first week and we touched on last week, in the story of the woman of the well, we often read it from a point of self-righteousness where we are on Jesus' side and we see this woman living in sin and Jesus goes and sets her straight. But as we dig deeper into the passage and as we understand the context and the reason by which John was writing this account, he writes to help each one of us as believers understand that we are probably more like this woman at the well. 
that when Jesus spoke to us and sometimes when Jesus speaks to us, we want literal answers. We look for material things and material blessings that we can use to affirm that Jesus is real. And the idea of believing, of faith, and the idea of trusting in something we cannot see is something that we can't comprehend. And so we respond much as this woman did, much as Nicodemus did. But then as our conversation with Jesus goes along and he begins to reveal things within us that we had not realized about ourselves or things that we thought were secrets that nobody would know, we begin to think that perhaps maybe this Jesus guy is a little bit more than what we thought he was. So John's writing to these young Jewish believers in their moment of crisis. And he's saying that as Jesus was willing to meet with this woman at her place, at her time, even though she was sinful... Do you understand that that is how Jesus chose to meet you? There's nobody in this room that accepts the name of Jesus Christ or claims that Jesus is their Savior and does so because they were worthy or because their life was so right and perfect that they had the right to be in the presence of Jesus. But each one of us understand Jesus to be our Savior because of what Jesus did despite our brokenness and our weakness. That's why we rejoice in grace and we give thanks for mercy and we trust that even despite us, God is up to something good in us. But notice that in this woman's story, more happens than just her hearing this message of Jesus and realizing that what she knew in her heart, what she was sure of and secure of, had been made real and and it changed and she became a true person of faith. There's more to the story. And so John writes this purposefully so that you and I can hear of the woman of the well and understand what happens when there is a true change of heart. And when the the knowledge and the security that we seem to have in our head becomes a a wellspring of life living within us. And it becomes the new source of power by which we live our life. And we're going to look at that a little bit today. So in verse 28 it says, The woman left her jar and she ran back to the village. Something happened inside of her when Jesus was speaking to her that caused a response. Notice she didn't think about the words that Jesus said and filled her water jar and went on about her business and returned to home and life went on as normal and the next day came and the next day came and the next day came and she continued what she was doing. No, it says that she left her jar. And I think John included that because he wanted us to understand that with what she had discovered about Jesus and when she realized who Jesus was, her purpose... And her intentions in that situation, in that moment, changed. She was no longer worried about gathering water for the day. But she had realized that with Jesus, there was something better. And you think, what could be better of living in the desert and having a bucket of water? That's a hard one. Maybe maybe a cold bottle of water. But it says that she left her bucket. The entire thing that she set out to do was no longer important to her. Her own welfare, her own well-being of having the water in her home was no longer important to her. She left 
the thing that she needed, the tool that was needed for her success, and she left it and she ran to tell other people about it. Now, I will tell you there's some discussion among scholars as to the true identity of this woman and who she really was in society. You see, this was a time in society where the town was really ruled by men. Women really didn't have a whole lot of pull. They usually lived under the leadership and under the protection and the power of their husband. Wherever he was in society was, was really where his wife was, and that was really where her level of respect and ability to influence people came from. So you can imagine this woman who had either been divorced or widowed five times and now was, lack of a better term, shacked up with a guy. How much clout she had in society. But it says that when she went back to town, that people heard what she said and followed her out. So just to throw a bee in your, or throw a fly in your honey of what you understand about this story, some scholars believe that this woman may actually have been a very, very important and prominent member of society. And that she went out to get her water at noontime so that other people would not see her. Because she was a very proud person and proud people and people of stature did not get their own water. But this woman's fall from social grace had led it to the point where she didn't want to be seen. But they say that the fact that she would go back to the city and she would proclaim that there is this Jewish man at our well telling me all the things I didn't do and I'm pretty certain he's the Messiah and people listen to her says that this was not just a normal outcast, nobody person. She had some pool. Because you could imagine what somebody who would be considered an outcast if they ran into the middle of town going, there's a Jewish man that I think is the, the Messiah at our well. What would happen? They'd get shoes and rocks and tomatoes and other things thrown at them, wouldn't you think? So there's so much complexity to this story that we could spend a whole entire year talking about it. And I know you're excited about that. And that's what, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, so this woman responds to what Jesus has done and she goes back and she says there's a Jewish guy at our well okay number one that's weird Jewish people aren't in this area two he spoke to me and three he told me things about myself that nobody knows well maybe some of you've been talking about it at the Kmart but most of you didn't know this and he knew it I think this guy could be the Messiah and so she ran back told you last week, this woman was excited about her sin. That's what she used. He told me everything I ever did. Everything about me is out in the open now. I think he's Jesus. I think he's the Messiah. You need to come hear what he's saying. So it says that the woman came back, or, or the people came back and began to follow her. But in between the people coming back and when they get there, there's a situation, there's something that happens between Jesus and his disciples says the disciples were urging Jesus to eat. And Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Remember, if they'd been walking through the desert all day, and they had gone into the village to get something to eat around these nasty, defiled people, and they come back, and then Jesus has the nerve to say, oh, I'm not hungry. Could you imagine the frustration, the confusion on the disciples? Now, John does a very elegant job of telling us the story. But parents, you know this. You've been at the ball field all day. You're tired. You had to work all day beforehand. Baby's sick, crying. And your kid has the audacity to go, I'm not eating that. It's a little frustrating, isn't it? 
Sometimes Jesus throws a wrench in our plans. I'm sure the disciples were tired, had had a long, stressful day, and then they come back and Jesus is talking to this person that he knows better than to talk to. And now when we tell him to eat, he tells us that he's got food that we don't even know about. This dude's been smuggling Snickers bars in his bag. And we didn't even know about it. So they wonder to themselves, did Jesus bring, did somebody bring him food while we were gone? Did Jesus defile himself by talking to this woman and eat food that Samaritans offered him? Has he lost his ever-loving Jewish mind? So Jesus, in true Jesus form, he explains. Realize Jesus, when he talks about things of God, has to do a lot of explaining along the way. People really struggle to understand what Jesus is saying. I think that's why John wrote this passage of Scripture. Telling these young Jewish believers, telling you and I, that sometimes when Jesus speaks, we need to listen twice. Sometimes when Jesus talks, when Jesus teaches, you and I don't need to just leave it on the page and take it and stick it in our memory bank, but we need to sit here and ask ourselves, why did Jesus say this? What is the context in which Jesus said this? What is the true and full message of what Jesus is saying? So he says, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Remember he also said one time, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he's separating the physicality of our being versus the spirituality and the sustaining that comes from the wisdom and the knowledge of God. So Jesus is saying, while the body is weak right now, understand that I am being sustained, that I am being fueled, that I am being carried on by what God is doing. Sometimes in life, that is going to be where we're at. Life is going to be tough. We're going to be tired. We're going to be worn out. And we have to have something to sustain us that food cannot do. You ever heard of the problem of binge eating or stress eating? Amen? And Jesus is saying that sometimes our physical bodies are going to let us down. And he said, but we have to have something that will continue to sustain us. That's the whole point of the gospel, isn't it? We live our lives searching for something, needing something, wanting something, yet never being fulfilled. It's our social life. It's our social media. It's our desire for affirmation from other people. And yet, something happens and our whole world come crash, comes crashing down. But Jesus said that He is nourished from doing the will of God. From trusting that what He is doing is honoring God and in doing so, God will sustain Him and carry Him through. And then he turns to something that disciples would understand. Uh, and this is an agrarian society here. And we understand a little bit about agriculture. Uh, but understand that agriculture then was way different than it is now. There was no John Deere Case International, Kloss, and all those other brands. There was people. And so Jesus says, you know the saying that four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. Now, it's thought that at the point, this is in the summer when they're in the desert, and there's not a whole lot of fields growing in the desert in the middle of summer. And so the disciples are looking around, and they see absolutely no plants whatsoever. 
And so they know, oh, Jesus must be on one of these deeper talks. He's going beyond what we can see. And he says, the field is already ripe for harvest. And imagine as they're sitting around this well and they look out in the distance, what do they see? They see the city full of people who are considered as outcasts, as unclean, as not worthy of what Jewish people have to offer. John tells the young disciples that just as Jesus said, look out for the harvest, understand that even though your world is in chaos, even though everything you know is not able to support you anymore, do you realize that all around you there is work to be done? That there is a harvest of people that need to hear the message of Jesus? So when the world is not able to sustain you, when your relationships that you counted on are not able to sustain you, when the things that you have had your entire life are not able to sustain you, understand that when you do God's work, God will carry you through. And so that is what Jesus was made successful by. Not the fact that he was this greatly respected teacher and he was brought into the houses of people, but that he understood that Every struggle, that every fight, that every lonely night, every times when everything was uncertain, that trusting that if he was doing what God had called him to do, that God would take care of the rest. So that's what John is telling these young disciples, and that's what you and I can take from this passage, is that sometimes the things that we have placed our faith in are going to fail us. But we can trust and rest assured that if our purpose has become about the things of God, that God will take care of the details. That God will carry us through and give us what we need. Verse 36, he says that the harvesters, those who take in the harvest, are paid good wages. And the fruit that they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What, is the, what could be better to do with your life? than to let people and help people experience eternity with God. Imagine that as these young believers whose world has just crashed down. They can't go to their parents anymore. Their parents don't want to talk to them because they've claimed this Jesus person as their Savior. They can't go to the temple where they probably used to go and play ping pong and hang out and do temple things. They don't want them around. All they have is to turn to their faith. This statement that Jesus died on the cross for me and he gave me eternal life and he took away a penalty that was meant for me and did something for me I could never do for myself. And he said that if you do that, that God will repay you with something better than you could ever come up with. Something better than if life was going the way that you thought it should go. For us in Bible Belt America, John's message would be that if you understand that there are people around you that need to hear the message of Jesus Christ, that there are people who are broken, who are lost, and who are hurting, and you have what they need, but you can't sit back and wait for them to come to you. You need to go where they are. It would be grand if every Sunday we could sit here and lost people would come up off the street and we could share with them Jesus that they could get what we got. But how much more amazing would it be if we realized and we understood, hey, this is what I have, and I can share it with somebody else. 
that there are people all around me that need to hear Jesus. And we responded to that and we went to that. And we're going over into Sunday school, but sorry, Sunday school teachers. So these people began to stream back. And Jesus says, it's, I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. This woman already knew some things about God. She didn't know all the things, but she knew some things. You're going to encounter people that know some things. They're going to have some kind of head knowledge, some kind of recognition of who Jesus is. He said, some people have already done the work, but now you get to take in the harvest. You see, the reality of it is, is that it's not one person who makes up the church. It's not the preacher who shares Jesus, leads people to Jesus, leads people to salvation, and then disciples people. It doesn't work that way. But it takes all of us, you sharing Jesus, you inviting people to church, somebody else exampling something that they see of Christ, them hearing the gospel and them responding. And then we'll close it up real quick. Verse 39 through 42, we see what happens when this woman understands exactly what Jesus has done and she responds to it. It says that they believed because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. So they came because this woman witnessed. She testified of what Jesus had done, and therefore they responded. But then they said, after they learned of Jesus, after they began to grow more and more, they said, but now we believe not because of what you have told us, or just because of what you have told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. How amazing would it be if we lived our lives in such a way, and we understood our relationship with Christ in such a way, that we went to people, that we told them what we know about Jesus, that we invited them, to come and learn with us. And then one day they made a profession of faith going, I believe in Jesus Christ because I know him to be true. And I know him to be true because of the life that you lived. Because of what you said. Because of what you did. I know that Jesus is true because I have seen him for myself. How amazing would that be? And how awesome would the church be if we could do that? Will you join me as I pray? Father God, we thank you as always, we thank you for your word. You show us the way to life and you show us the way to salvation, to experience joy, hope, and peace and thanksgiving. God, we pray that as we ponder this woman at the well, that through this short interaction and conversation with Jesus Christ, she responded in such a way that many people came to faith that, God, we would do so the same. That we would not take the knowledge and the things that we understand about Christ and bottle it up and keep it inside of us, setting on our security that we've done the right things. But, God, we would realize that you give us life and you sustain us to live a life of worship unto you. And that is where true life comes from. And that is where the everlasting joy that wells up within us is found. So God, give us the ability and the desire and the compassion to go out in the name of Christ, to go to the places where people are, where the harvest is plentiful, and to be workers in the midst of that harvest, trusting that you will sustain us for the work and the journey and that you have placed the planters along the way. That we can take part in what you are doing. 
So God, we ask that you would not only be the Jesus of our personal assurance, but God, you would be the Jesus by which we step out into the world every day, ready to make a difference, to share the name of Jesus Christ, and to invite people on this journey of eternity, of worshiping you and experience your blessings. God, we ask again for your protection and blessings on our kids this school year, for our teachers, that this place of education would also be a place where your light shines, where other people see the example of Jesus Christ being lived out and are able to respond because they know that Jesus is real. We pray this in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen.